I tried to sell, I couldn't sell. There was just no demand. I tried to rent out. It's just not worth it because doing up the property in order to rent it out would take about one to two years of rental income. Hello, fellow risk takers, and welcome to my worst investment ever. Stories of loss to keep you winning. In our community, we know that to win in investing, you must take risk. But to win big, you've got to reduce it. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm on a mission to help 1 million people reduce risk in their lives. And that mission has led me to create the Become a Better Investor community. In the community, you get access to our global asset allocation strategies and stock portfolios, our investment research, weekly live sessions, and most importantly, the risk reduction lessons I've learned from more than 500 guests. Go to MyWorstInvestmentEver.com right now to claim your exclusive podcast listeners' lifetime discount. Fellow risk takers, this is your worst podcast host, Andrew Stotts from A. Stotts Academy, and I'm here with featured guest Eric Sim. Eric, are you ready to join the mission? Yes, I'm here to join you, Andrew, and thanks for having me. I am excited to talk to you and I know we're going to enjoy this conversation as well as the audience is going to enjoy it. Let me introduce you to the audience. Eric Sim is the author of Small Actions, giving 66 actionable tips to help one achieve career success. He is a successful banker having worked with City in Singapore, Shanghai, and Hong Kong before joining UBS Investment Bank as a managing director. Eric, take a minute and tell us about the unique value that you bring to this wonderful world. Yeah. So first of all, thanks to the listener out there. Thanks, Andrew, for having me because I find this is amazing. We cannot learn from successes because a lot of times successes comes with a bit of luck. And I have a lot of luck in my, in my life, although I started from a poor family. But along the way, I did have some luck to make good decisions, have some luck to meet some good people and have people who believe in me. However, I find that the best thing to, to be able to, to learn is from failures, from their worst investment. So that is, that is so good. And for me, now I'm in the stage of my life where my activities surround sharing my knowledge, helping other people, creating impact. And this is possible because I have made some good investment in the past, allowing me at this point not to focus on making more money, but making more impact. You know, I remember reading something that you wrote about helping your father out. I think you're helping your family out with noodles in, in was it 19, I don't remember what year it was, but it said three years before Singapore became a nation, as I recall, something like that. That was my father started his prawn noodle store in 1959. There it is. Just before Singapore went independent. And I started helping him when I was in elementary school at the age of 11, 12, all the way to university time. It's interesting because my business partner here in Thailand, a Thai man, he and I have worked together for 20 years, but he basically was helping his mom and dad with cart that they had selling. And it was tough. I mean, life was tough and you had to kind of fight hard to get your spot. How was it like for you and your family at that time? 
we didn't have money, but we didn't feel poor. I was never one day or once felt that I'm I'm poor. There was once it was a teacher's day. I wanted to buy something for the teacher because everybody bought something. My mother asked me to just buy a box of tissue paper and uh, wrap it up because it's a nice big box and costs very little. But I thought yeah, that was a bit embarrassing, but I didn't feel that it's so bad. We still got food. We got, I must say that I have got unconditional love from my parents. Some people say, oh, your parents must be so proud of you right now, you know, financially independent, big job. I say, no, they will be proud of me even if I'm not financially independent, even if, if I'm not, have, if I don't have a big job because all they wanted is for me to get some education take over the prawn noodle store if possible. If not, if I can work in an air-conditioned office wearing a, a long sleeve shirt, that's good enough for them. <laughs> that's an interesting story because I know in Asia, that's not always the message that parents give their kids. You know, you've got to achieve, you've got to get into this, you've got to do this, you're not good enough unless you get this or that. That's, I think it's a, it's a similar type of message I got from my parents, which was, you know, my parents didn't really say much but I got the feeling like, just be happy, do what you like. I think it's not just be happy, it's just be a decent person. You know, don't go to jail, don't commit offenses. That's, that's about it. You know, make a decent living, whatever I do, I think they don't mind. Well, you're a step ahead of me, Eric, because I did go to jail at the age of 14. And my mom's listening to this and she can recall it very well, I'm sure. But I was uh, a really, really troubled kid and having trouble with alcohol and drugs. And my parents, I basically attacked my father at one point at home when I was young. And he called the cops and I went to the jail of our little town in Ohio. And then they moved me to Akron jail, which was a bigger city. And I was there for a couple of weeks. And then they moved me into a foster home for a couple of months to cool things down. Later, I did get back to my parents' home and eventually I got clean and sober and stopped, you know, using alcohol and drugs and stuff. And it's been 40 years in September that I haven't got high or, you know, drank or something. So if, when, when we meet in Singapore or wherever, for yourself or any of the listeners, you'll always notice I, I always order water. <laughs> that's, that's great. I'm not a huge drinker myself. I don't have alcohol at home. You know, I, I just don't drink at home. Yeah. Yeah. So let's, let's get into it. I'm curious. It's time to share your worst investment ever. And since no one goes into their worst investment thinking it will be, tell us a bit about the circumstances leading up to it and then tell us your story. Yeah. So I have made a lot of investment in my life, stock, property, and I've always been successful. Then come about 10, 8 to 10 years ago, Malaysia property was very hot and just north of Singapore, there is Johor Bahru, part of Malaysia. They were selling properties and I thought this will be the next Shenzhen. You know, in when you're in Hong Kong, you look at Shenzhen, maybe 20, 30 years ago, it wasn't so hot. But as China grew and developed, Shenzhen property prices gone through the roof. So I say, this is it. This is the time. So let me buy one property 2400 square feet so huge by any standard 
four bedrooms, six toilets. So every bedroom has a toilet and there's one toilet for the helper and there's a toilet for guests. There's a balcony with jacuzzi. Amazing, right? And very valuable compared to Singapore prices. So I say, that's it. I've been successful. Everything I touch always turns gold. Let me buy one. So I bought one. And it was doing well because the, the hype was still there. One year later, I say, let me double down. Buy one more. By the time, of course, the prices would have gone up and I pay a lot more for the second one. Another, of course, then it went through construction. And then two, three years later, there's a change of Malaysia government. And there, previously, there were plans about the high-speed rail from Singapore to Malaysia, you know, connecting a few cities in Malaysia, including Kuala Lumpur. And there's going to be an MRT, the mass rapid transit, or the metro in some city, or in Thailand, you call it the BTS, right? So with that, it means we can cut short the time between the traveling between the two cities, because now it takes normal traveling time is one hour to three hours. With that, maybe half an hour. Checking, check out, you know, custom check would be easy. But once the, there's a change of government, all that got can. You say, whatever the previous government promised you, hold on, we're going to review, we're going to reaccess and start from scratch. So, change of government, no more transport efficiency. And the third thing, oversupply. That is something that I never think because. I was so kind of convinced that I'm always right. So I ignore. I know there's oversupply. There's this huge amount of land in Malaysia. Comparing with Singapore, is it's not a good comparison, right? Because Singapore is limited land. In Malaysia, there's, I would say, unlimited land. And who is going to support buying all these properties, the high-end properties? You know, is there an industry? So all that I threw away when I bought. After prices came down, I tried to sell, I couldn't sell. There was just no demand. I tried to rent out. It's just not worth it because doing up the property in order to rent it out would take about one to two years of rental income. So that is my, my worst investment. And it's bugging me every month because I need to pay the mortgages. I need to convert foreign currency into Malaysia ringgit. And it's eating me up, you know, like my kind of uh, flawless track record <laughs> now has got this blemish in there and how did it how did it end up or are you still owning that i'm still owning it i'm trying to make use of it because my plan is to move there experience malaysia live because i think it has got rich culture and then with the transport right i can always leave there and come here because i'm no longer working for a bank and then with Zoom, I, I don't need to meet people. I can always plan, right? Two days in Singapore, three days in, in Malaysia, two more days traveling a little bit around the region. Mm. I'm still trying to get back to that, see whether I can make use of the property or rent it out or, or something. But as of now, I've got other priorities, which is to continue creating impact to people. So that has taken a, a back burner. And I'm just curious, like, is it, is it all completed now or is it in partial stages of completion for the project? Oh, it's completed now. So I think the move-in date was something like three to four years ago. So 
been vacant for the last three to four years. So it's still brand new. Yeah, not not rented out at all. I still feel that it's it's a nice property, very well built. I may use one of them uh, myself. Yeah. So how would you describe the lessons that you learned from this? Lesson is don't let your past successes kind of uh, blind you. When it comes to investment, so many people have fallen onto this trap. Just because you bought some Alibaba share and then you make huge amount of money, you think that everything that you touch is going to turn into gold. Not the case, number one. Number two, demand supply for property still is very valid. So before you buy or the next time I buy, I will seriously think, is there unlimited supply? Number two, who is going to buy after you? If you want to sell one or two years later, who are the people who is going to buy? Is there an industry to support rental market? Because if there are nobody living there or if there are nobody who needs to go there to work, why should they rent your property? And if there's no rental, then why should there be a high valuation for the property? So demand, supply, past successes doesn't mean future successes. And number three lesson, I would say when it comes to investment, you cannot expect 100% of your investment to, to make money. Sometimes you lose. As long as overall you make, it's okay. So don't be too hard on yourself. That's a lot of good lessons. I think one of the things that you made me think about, I think such a great lesson is who's going to buy this. And I have a friend of mine who had a business that he started off and he asked me to help him sell that business. And we ended up selling it to Microsoft, which was kind of amazing. But what I always respected about him was he knew from the beginning that he was going to sell it to Microsoft. So I really challenge everybody, you know, that's listening or viewing to think about the next investment you have, the business that you have, the condo that you're going to buy, whatever it is. Think about who is that buyer. Identify them now. And, you know, I think about a piece of land that I bought and I know who the buyer is now, not specifically, but I know what type of buyer would buy this for a property development or something like that. That That is a big thing because also what I've seen in Thailand, and I know it happens a lot in Asia, is that we get all of these condo developments coming up. And I bought a condo once near my house. And when it was completed, I realized I didn't, I didn't like it. It was much smaller than what I live in and I rent, you know, and then I decided, okay, well, I'll just become a landlord. And I realized that's a hard business. And then I just decided just to sell it, which I basically got back the money that I spent on it. But what I realized is that sometimes investing in condos can be a trap where you just get into it because you're excited. But think about, you know, you have the flexibility of being able to not live somewhere and all that, but there's many people who don't have that much money and then they sign up for this thing and then they're locked in for the rest of their life. And that's just terrifying to me. So yeah. I think that's a huge lesson you know, for the listeners out there. Yeah, and also try not to let one investment, if it goes wrong, to ruin your life. Yeah, I think so fortunately, this investment didn't, although didn't do well, but it didn't stop me or it didn't affect my life, except that at night, once in a while, I think about it, ah, I need to pay the mortgage tomorrow. What a hassle. 
other than that, I eat the same, you know, I continue with my life in Singapore, in Hong Kong and traveling. Yeah, and I think listen to this show and you realize I'm not alone. We all make mistakes or we all have these experiences and we get through them. So based upon what you learn from this experience and what you continue to learn, let's just imagine a young person seeing an opportunity like this, getting excited about it, seeing the future is very bright. What one action would you recommend that they take to avoid suffering the same fate? I would think really do your due diligence, right? And make the right type of comparison. So I was comparing, I was thinking, this is the next Shenzhen, right? I'm assuming that Hong Kong is Singapore, we both are quite close, and Malaysia is China. No, <laughs> Malaysia is not China. And um, there are a lot of telltale signs to say that they are not the same. The growth is not going to be the same. So need to be careful with that. I would say, list down the facts and be, be your own devil's advocate. Right. Because sometimes when we are so excited, your friends are buying, hey, you see the property, the brochure is so nice. But list down the facts. What could have gone wrong? Yeah, before you make the, the decision and what is the, the downside as well. So that, that is one. Yeah. Great advice. I think when you list down the facts, it also just slows you down. Slow down, go through it, think about it. In fact, after listening to Having 500 stories submitted to me and listening to almost 600, what I've come up with is six common mistakes that people make. And the number one mistake is fail to do their research. Yeah. And so here, I think the advice is clear. When something seems really exciting, you like the idea, you're putting it all together, sit down, write it down, you know, do your research. De so, definitely. Yeah. What is a resource that you'd recommend for our listeners? I think resources read up because my, my idea about living a life and investment is try not to buy possession, especially, you know, luxury goods, expensive clothes, sports car, you know, a wine cellar in the home. So those I find will not be necessary. And, you know, I've been through that phase. The enjoyment is only one or two weeks, right? That's why I wear a Timex and not a Rolex. But invest in yourself, invest in others, and invest in asset. Invest in yourself would be upgrade yourself, knowledge. I think that is very valuable because once you have knowledge, you can gain social capital. For example, Andrew, you, now, you can do a podcast, right? You can give voice to people. You build social capital. Next time you need some help and this person, because of your podcast, has a good reflection or get more known among your, your viewers. Next time you want something, hey, can I come to Singapore, have a coffee? Yeah, people will give you that time because you build that social capital. So, But that is because you <clears throat> learn how to do a podcast. You build your audience, right? So that is investing in yourself first. Investing in others is buying lunch, buying coffee, helping out. Because when you help others, you also build your social capital. Then thirdly, with that, invest in asset. And I think start with investing in yourself. Then for me, I have attended classes from interior design, graphic design, and very recently, positive psychology. And I want to be a landscape designer, you know, five years down the road. 
So investing in yourself, I put that in my book. It will be a, a good start. It's called Small Action, the one that you introduced uh, earlier, leading your career to, to big success. 60 tips, actionable tips, simple one that you can act on. Then, uh, yeah, that's the, that's the best resources. And of course, I'm on LinkedIn. Any listener out there, if you want to read more or engage or network, expand your network with my followers, feel free to leave a comment. Then my followers will see your comment. They might engage with you. Mm. Yeah, that's a great resource. I mean, you're an example of someone who really puts LinkedIn to work. And I was thinking about one of the things that you posted there and we were, it was seven, seven items that you listed out. And the seventh one was about become a Zoom expert. And we were just talking about that before, uh, before we turned on the, the recorder. So lots of value there. All right. Last question. Yes. What's your number one goal for the next 12 months? Now, number one goal is how to live a meaningful life, right? So stop. I'm stopping to think about how to make more money, but how to use my money to create impact and to live a meaningful life. So that's my next, next life goal. Fantastic. Well, listeners, there you have it. Another story of loss to keep you winning. If you haven't yet joined the Become a Better Investor community, just go to myworstinvestmentever.com right now to claim your lifetime discount exclusive for podcast listeners. As we conclude, Eric, I want to thank you again for joining our mission. And on behalf of ASTOTS Academy, I hereby award you alumni status for turning your worst investment ever into your best teaching moment. Do you have any parting words for the audience? Yes, Andrew, this is an amazing session for me. So I would say think big, start small, act now. Great words. Think big, start small, act now. And that's a wrap on another great story to help us create, grow, and protect our well fellow risk takers. Let's celebrate that today we added one more person to our mission to help 1 million people reduce risk in their lives. This is your worst podcast host, Andrew Stott, saying, I'll see you on the upside.